we have the privilege of loving an awesome and wonderful God. What, what more could we ever ask for? I think today what you're going to find, um, at least I did, in studying this, the 24th chapter of the book of Acts, I came across something that I had read before, never seen. And it is perhaps the most dynamic, most powerful testimony of Jesus Christ that you'll ever find in Scripture. It's kind of tucked away. It's like a really precious little stone that just lies there. And um, I can't wait to, to share it with you today. Today, this weekend, is Arms Force uh, uh, Day. Uh, on the wall, you can see. Um, you know, there's not a one of us here that uh, cannot be so thankful for the men and women who have, uh, who have given of themselves their time, some of them the most precious gift of all, and that is their lives, so that you and I might walk here today in freedom. Um, it is, amen is right, it is the most wonderful, wonderful privilege that we have in this great and wonderful country in which we live, that we can be, um, hopefully, the, the, the people that talk peace across this world in which we live and freedom and, and all of that. And yet, here we are in the midst of a war and we have some loved ones that are overseas. But first and foremost, what I'd like to do, if you don't mind, is for any of you and all of you who served in the armed forces, would you mind at this moment standing so we, we can say thank you to you? Would you please stand? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, one and all. Thank you guys so much. Thank you so much. That isn't just a frivolous applause that we give you. We, we say thank you from the very bottom of our hearts. Uh, the reason we have the freedom that we have today is because so many of you have uh, given of your time and and, and help to protect what we have here in this wonderful country. And what I'd like to do is pray. Pray now for any loved ones that you might have, people of our, of our, our great country that are serving us right now and, and hopefully uh, are in, out of harm's way and hopefully they'll be safe and hopefully they'll, they'll come home safely in God's good time. I, I'm not naive. I, I know the Bible speaks of wars and rumors of wars. It will only escalate. I understand that, but um, I want to pray with you right now, if you don't mind, for the safety of those that are overseas kind of caring for us. Father, first and foremost, we want to give you thanks for those that stood, those that uh, gave, Father, the most precious of their time uh, in the midst of their, their youth and, and, and served this country admirably. Father, thank you for each one. And Father, we pray now for those that are overseas that are watching over and, 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 and giving us the, the freedom to walk here this morning, to have church this morning, to, to live in this country that is, is, uh, is like none other. And, and, and Father, that we can have the freedom to worship you as we so desire. There are people fighting for that. And we ask your protection upon them. We ask that you bring them home safely as soon as it's your will. Father, that you would... Please give wisdom to those that are that are conducting all of this. And I mean, who in the world can figure this all out? Um, all I know is that the, the Bible does speak of these times and, and that there will be wars and rumors of it. And Father, it will only escalate. And so what we ask is that you'll protect. Protect those that, of ours and, and watch over them, I pray, Father, in Jesus' most precious name. 
Amen. Would you turn with me, please, to chapter 24 of the book of Acts? And for those of you who have read this place before, um, I wonder if you're going to be like myself. I've, uh, I've looked through and read through the book uh, of Acts often. I've studied it before, but I've never, ever came across what the Lord led me to on this particular time. You know, the, the Bible is alive, and it is um, it does speak for itself over and over again, and you can keep reading it and learn and learn and learn and learn. Let me just share with you, for those that are here, just a, re, just a little recap, if I may. The book of Acts was written to show you how the church began and then to show you how the, the apostles went as far as they could go to, to share the gospel wherever they could. The book of Acts was written to, to show how the church began. On the day of Pentecost, Peter preached a message and 3,000 people came to Christ, and so the church began. And we studied a long time in that, talking about becoming an Acts 2 type church, a church that was like, it was established originally and was given orders by the apostles of how to establish a church. And so then they went off. They went off into different areas to, to, um, to share the gospel with different people everywhere. And Paul has spent three different missionary journeys and he had come back to Jerusalem. When he came back to Jerusalem this time, as we've been studying here in Acts chapter 21, when he got back, they were very irate with him because he was sharing the, the issue of Jesus Christ. And as he shared Jesus Christ, they became more and more angry with him, and so they wanted to kill him. And so they said that he did uh, certain things. They wanted to kill him because he's sharing about Jesus Christ. And, uh, and so they, 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 they are trying to get after him, and, and, and so much so, so violently, that the uh, captain of the, the soldiers came and rescued Paul tried to find out what Paul had done wrong. Paul, being a Roman citizen, he couldn't beat him, beat it out of him like he wanted to, and so he tried to find out through a trial. He called together the Sanhedrin. Those were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, um, uh, the, 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 the scribes. They were the religious and political leaders of Israel. And he wanted to find out, what is so, what has this guy done so wrong that you want to tear him limb from limb? Well, he couldn't find out, and, and they tried so hard to kill him that uh, they made a plot. And we talked about two things in this particular place in Scripture that I thought really stood out. And that was that Paul, when he stood before the Sanhedrin, he said, I am of clear conscience. He says, I am, I am of clear conscience before God and man. And we talked to you about that. The reason that Paul was of clear conscience was not because he was a, a wonderful man that never sinned, as a matter of fact, he had people killed. He probably has done things to people that you and I have never even thought of doing. And yet he had people killed, he had people in prison, and yet he stood before them and said, I am of a clear conscience. And what we learned from that is Paul believed God at his word. Paul believed God when God says, if you come to me, if you confess your sin, I will be faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He says, I will take your sin as far as what? The east is from the west. And he says, I will remember your sin what? No more. And so Paul said, since God doesn't remember my sin, since I've confessed all the sin that I know that I've done before my God, I have a clear conscience before him. I am, I am cleansed. And then we learned last week about God's providential hand. And we learned that God's providential hand works through us today as, as believers. And what we learned is how, how God used Paul's nephew, just a young lad, we think, because 
the soldier led him by his hand. When, when, when Paul's nephew went to the soldier, the soldier led him by hand to find out what it is that he wanted to tell him. The nephew overheard the Sanhedrin say there was 40 men, and they said they took an oath. They made, a, they made a vow that they would not eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. And so they made a plan with the Sanhedrin. They said to the Sanhedrin, you call Paul here. On his way here, we'll stop them, we'll kill Paul, we'll be over with him. But his nephew, Paul's nephew overheard this. He went to his uncle and said, Uncle Paul, he said, there's some, there's some men have taken a vow. They want to kill you. And don't go, when they ask you to go to Sanhedrin, don't go because there's 40 of them that are lying in wait wanting to put you to death. Paul says, go tell the captain of the go tell the captain of the soldiers this, what you've told me. And he went. And that's when the soldier took him by his hand and he told him everything. And he said, don't tell a soul that you told me this. And that night they took Paul and they took him to Caesarea. And that's where we find Paul now. These people are, are irate with Paul. And we're going to find out why. And we're going to find out that they had no case against him. And yet we're going to see that Paul suffered greatly because of their hatred of not him, but their hatred of Jesus Christ. And you need to know that that's, that's the same that will happen to you and me. There will be people that will be angry with us, not because of what we maybe have done, but because maybe of our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. And so what, let's read this wonderful place in, in Scripture and let's see what happens to Paul. And we'll read from verses 1 to 16. My intent was to take up the whole chapter. You'll see that in a moment. But, but I couldn't go beyond the, the 16th verse, and hopefully at the end of this message you'll understand why. Let's read verse 1. After five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders. They came down to Caesarea with a certain attorney named Tertullus, and they brought charges to the governor against Paul. After Paul had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying to the governor, Since we have through you attained much peace, and since by your providence reforms are being carried out for this nation, we acknowledge this in every way and everywhere, most excellent Felix, with all thankfulness. But that I might not worry you any further, I beg you to grant us by your kindness a brief hearing. I've got to stop there, because I'm not going to talk much about it, but he's a lying scoundrel. And they knew it. They knew that this attorney was lying through his teeth. Everybody knew that Felix was a terrible, terrible governor. He was ruthless, and he hated the Jews, and he did nothing to help the Jews. But all this guy, doing is, this guy is trying to do is butter up Felix so that he might hear and, and, and charge Paul with what they're saying he did wrong. He's, he's a scoundrel, this guy. But watch, in, in, in verse 9, the Jews also joined in with him, and, and they asserted that he's telling the truth. Oh, they're all a bunch of scoundrels. Watch. Verse 5 now. Now I won't stop anymore. He says, here's what he, by the way, here's what he accuses Paul of. Watch. For we found this man a real pest. He's a fellow who stirs up dissension among all the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to desecrate the temple. And then we arrested him. We wanted to judge him according to our own law, but Lysias, the commander, came along. Now watch. And with much violence, he took him out of our hands, ordering his accusers to come before you. And by examining him yourself concerning all these matters, you'll be able to ascertain the things of which we accuse him. The Jews also joined in the attack, asserting that the things he said were so. 
And when the governor had nodded for him to speak, him meaning Paul, Paul responded, saying, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge to this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. Since you can take note of the fact that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship, and neither in the temple nor in the synagogues, nor in the city itself, did they find me carrying on a discussion with anyone or causing a riot. Nor can they prove to you the charges of which they now accuse me. But, he says in verse 14, This I admit to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I do serve the God of our fathers, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and what is written in the prophets, having a hope in God which these men cherish themselves, that there shall certainly be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. In view of this, Paul writes in verse 16, I also do my best to maintain always a blameless conscience before God and before men. Now, I've read this before, but never did it impact me like it did this week. I pray, and let's pray, both you and me, that God will reveal all that is in here, in this place in Scripture. I believe if ever there was an East, if ever there was an Easter message, this is it. Oh man, this is a powerful message about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the importance of that issue in all of our lives. But let's watch it unfold. Let's read through it and let's see what God has to say. Pray with me, please. Dear Father, I, I can't really say like ever before or never before, but Father, with great intensity, I, I, I ask your blessings upon this message. I ask that you would move me aside. I ask, Father God, that by your grace you would teach us. I pray that, Father, that you would move our hearts to see the, the wonders and the glory that we have in your Son, Jesus Christ, whom willfully went to the cross for each and every person on this world died, shed his blood, and died, Father, for every single one of us. And then to show that he is exactly who he said he is, he rose from the dead three days later. And, Father, with that, we have the forgiveness of our sins, those who trust and believe in your Son. And so, Father, would you please open up our eyes, move our hearts, our, our thoughts, that we might behold wonderful things from your law. Teach us, dear Father. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. You know, uh, there is a place that we talked about, uh, the providential hand. We mentioned this last week, that you and I are to be the hands, the feet, the very heart of God himself. As God used not himself, but his nephew, I mean Paul's nephew, and, and, he, and he started using people over and over again, so you and I are to be a comfort in other people's lives. There are a lot of people going through some really deep and, and troubling waters, and they need those of us who can comfort them with that opportunity to come alongside and love on them. In, in 2 Corinthians 1.4, it says, God who comforts us in all of our afflictions, so that you and I, we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. And how can we comfort them with the same comfort that we ourselves have been comforted by God? Comforting takes our maturity. It takes us to be the hands, the feet, the heart of God to, to those who are going through some difficulties. And as I said to you, I wanted to go all the way through this chapter and, and, 
And I wanted you to see something, but we're not going to get to it till later, but I want to talk about it today. Look at verse 27. It's just a throwaway verse, really, but it has so much meaning to it. It says, after two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, I believe his name is, and wishing to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul imprisoned. That statement says that Paul has been in prison now for two years plus. For what? He has done nothing wrong. They could accuse him of nothing. What did they say about him? They said in verse 5, he is a pest. Holy smokes. If you get in prison for being a pest, all of us have to go to jail. And I say Paul probably was a pest to those that didn't know the Lord. He wouldn't let them go. He loved them far too much. He wanted them to know the, the Savior. And so he became a pest in their lives. They said he's, he's kind of up, uprooted and, and, and turned the, the whole world into turmoil, especially us Jews. There's no way of going to jail for the things that he did. But I want you to look with me, please, at 1 Peter chapter 4. And I want to talk to those of you here in this congregation right now. Uh, perhaps Wanda. Uh, in the first service, Mike Miller was here, who has... Uh, was able to get out and about today and it was so good to see him and, and he's going through deep waters and someone else came up to me afterwards and said thank you because I'm going through some very deep waters they said and what I want to ask you is have any of us felt that we've been through a trial that seems to to go on and on without any relief well in in first Peter chapter 4 Peter tells us about these times that we might go through. You see, there's far too many churches that preach that if you come to Jesus Christ and you believe in Him with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, with enough faith, if you're sick, you'll get well. They preach with enough faith if you're going through difficult times and, and, and say your business is going south or you're not making any money. With a lot, enough faith, God will bring you money. And they make these claims and they, they put pressure upon those that, that, that have trusted in Christ and don't know any better, and, and all of a sudden they make them feel like uh, there's something wrong with them because they're going through difficulties, and why don't I have enough faith? I've been in ministry long enough to, to have heard uh, preachers say, when someone says, you know, I didn't get healed, and they say, you know, it's, it's not my problem. I have enough faith for you. You have to have the faith. You know the guilt trip that puts a person upon? Because some of us won't get well. Some of us will not get out of the trials. Some of us, like Paul, will be in prison for, for doing nothing wrong. How about Joseph? Remember Joseph and Potiphar's wife? She wanted him to, to um, you know, and, 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 uh, and when, she, when he wouldn't stay with her, she, she grabbed his uh, robe and he left, and when her husband came home, said, look, 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 I have his robe. Look what this guy tried to do with me. And he threw him in prison. For what? For doing what was right. He would not do what was wrong. Sometimes we suffer, folks, for doing what is right. Watch what First Peter chapter 4 will teach us. Look at verse 12. Peter writes, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. 
In other words, Peter is saying, look, don't, 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 don't be surprised that you're going through difficulties and don't think it's just you that is going through this strange thing. Everyone will go through some difficulties to one degree or another. It says in verse 13, But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Jesus Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And then Peter says, by no means let any of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. In other words, he's saying don't, don't get into a sin issue and then think that you know what's wrong here. Don't do that. Don't, get, don't go through your suffering because of sin. Deal with your sin. Confess it. But, he says in verse 16, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not feel ashamed, but in that name let him glorify God. Don't feel ashamed. If you're going through something difficult, God might leave you in that predicament for quite some time. Don't feel ashamed as if you've done something wrong. The Bible says no. Look at God and glorify His name in the midst of it. It says in verse 17, For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. If it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of a godless man and the sinner? Therefore, he says in verse 19, Let those also who suffer according to what? According to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. You see, the Lord God himself does not promise that our lives will be easy as Christians. And that needs to be taught. That needs to be said. Because it's a guilt trip that some can put you on if you're going through difficulties. They say, what's wrong with you? Don't you believe enough? What's wrong? Is there something wrong? Is there sin in your life? Look, the Holy Spirit will convict you of sin. You don't need someone to ask you if you've got sin in your life. And when he convicts you of sin, you confess it. You get right with him. But do not think that you're going through something that is just strange, just you're going through it. No, the Bible teaches that we will all go through difficulties. Now, I, 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 I say as a matter of fact, the rest of Paul's days in this particular book that we are reading in, there will be nothing but trials and dangers and difficulties in his life. And should you and I as believers in Jesus Christ expect anything less? No, we will all suffer. How's that for preaching good news on a, a warm Sunday morning? But I felt like I had to do it. I feel like I have to tell you the truth of the Word of God. I can't be up here and kind of sugarcoat what the Bible says. Don't you think just because you're going through something that it's something that you've done wrong. If there's sin in your life, deal with that. We're going to talk about that today. But you don't have to scratch and kind of muster up what's wrong. Listen, the Holy Spirit is really adequate to convict you and me of our sin. And when He does, what He asks for us to do is to confess it so that we can have a clear conscience before God. But that does not mean that you and I might not go through difficulties. Okay, let's get now to the crux of, of Acts chapter 24. And that is the things that this, uh, this scoundrel, this attorney named Tertullus goes and, and brings against Paul. You'll note that neither the high priest Ananias nor the elders argue their case against Paul. They bring this attorney to tell us. And what we learn from when they, uh, they talk about him in, in history, he was a guy that they, 
they said had a, 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 a special tongue. In other words, he, he was able to argue and reason and, 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 and was a, a really good speaker, I guess you'd say. And we can see that by the way he buttered up Felix, Felix the scoundrel himself. But I'll tell you one thing about Felix. If you look ahead in verse 22, we'll get to next week, Felix had more of an exact knowledge about the way. He knew more about what was going on in Christianity than the Sanhedrin did. So they were not pulling the wool over Felix's eyes. And so what did they accuse? What did they accuse, Paul, that is so damaging that they want to kill him? Verse 5, he's a pest. (laughs) He's a pest. Verse 5, he stirs up dissension among all the Jews throughout the world. Verse 5, he's a ringleader of a sect, the Nazarenes. By the way, that was, a, that was dipped with pure sarcasm. Calling, calling them the Nazarenes, that was a, that was a very demeaning way of, of, uh, of speaking of a Christian. They called themselves at that time the way. You know why? In Matthew, I think it's chapter 7. I'll correct myself if I'm wrong. Uh, I have my notes here. Why don't I look? Oh, my gosh. It's way off in the distance. I must say this again. But in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus Christ preached a message. He said, the gate is narrow. And he says, the way is narrow to everlasting life. And when he said the way is narrow to everlasting life, that's where they got the phrase, I believe, to call themselves the way. Also, Jesus Christ in John 14, 6, as you all well know this verse, he said himself, I am what? The way. I am the truth and the life. And you cannot, nobody comes to the Father but through me. And so by calling him, uh, uh, by calling Paul, someone who is a ringleader of the sect called the Nazarene, he was trying to put a little jab into Paul. And then it says in verse 6, he tried to desecrate the temple. Now, I, I, I imagine Paul was a pest, to be honest with you, especially to those who didn't want to hear about Jesus Christ. But was he a ringleader of the Nazarenes? No way. Was he a ringleader of the way? No way. You see, any of us that know anything about our faith, we know who is, who is the, the ringleader, so to speak, who is the foundation of what we believe. Anybody that thinks that there is somebody special in this faith that we have doesn't understand this faith that we have. Jesus Christ is the very cornerstone. He's the very foundation of what we believe. And if there is someone who is the leader of who we are, it isn't any pastors, it isn't anybody. It is Jesus Christ pure. He is the one who is, as they would like to say, the ringleader. He is our cornerstone. He's the very foundation of what you and I have. And so Paul could have said no to that. They wouldn't perhaps have understood. Did he try to desecrate the temple? No. As a matter of fact, desecrating the temple was a, was a false statement. Look at chapter 21 and look at verse 28 of this book of Acts. You see, they, they said this of Paul before. And let me tell you why it didn't stick. Let me tell you why it held no foundational truth whatsoever. Watch. Look at Acts chapter 21, verse 28. The men cried out, Men of Israel, men of Israel, come to our aid. This man, they're talking about Paul, who preaches to all men everywhere against our people and against the law and against this place. As a matter of fact, they said, besides, he has even brought Greeks into the temple and therefore he has defiled this holy place. 
Listen, there was no evidence that Paul had actually defiled the temple. Listen, because if he had, the Jews had every right to handle that accusation against Paul for themselves. They could have put him on trial within their own what their own judgment system. The Sanhedrin had a right, if Paul had desecrated the temple, to judge him and try him then and there. And don't you know, they would have loved to have done just that, if only they could have. They would have tried him and killed him instantly. But they couldn't because he did not defile the temple. And they knew it, Paul knew it, and everyone else knew it. But they never stopped saying, he defiled our temple. He defiled our temple. And what they were saying, if he defiled their temple really, they could have tried him. But they couldn't. They had to bring him before the Roman judge and jury. And when they did that, they weakened their own selves. Now watch what these scoundrels say. Verse 9, we already looked at it. They also agree with their lying attorney. In verse 9, after he said all of these things, knowing that it's a lie... Because I'm telling you, Felix knew if they could have tried him, they would have tried Paul. Felix knew if they could have killed Paul because he desecrated the temple, they would have killed him. Felix knew they were lying through their teeth. But they say to Felix, the Jews, verse 9, also joined in the attack, asserting that these things are so. In other words, Tertullus is telling you the truth, Felix. And Felix, I know, is thinking inside of himself, if he is, then why didn't you try him yourself? Why are you here? And so with that, with that statement, Felix says, Paul, tell me what happened. And so Paul comes to his own defense. Look at verse 10. And the governor, when the governor had nodded for Paul to speak, Paul responded, And he does not butter him up. He just says, I know that for many years you've been a judge of this nation. I cheerfully make my defense. And so Paul comes to his own defense. He points out the absurdity of the charge of causing a riot. And he reasoned with Felix. He said, Felix, look, verse 11, you can take note of the fact that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. Now why is that so important? Well, for five of those 12 days he's been there in Caesarea in prison. And the other time he spent in Jerusalem, while he was in Jerusalem, verses chapter 21 tells us, he was preparing himself, Paul was, for purification rites. Therefore, he had no time to start anything while he was in Jerusalem. And then Paul offers further proof of his innocence. He points out, I did not engage in any public debates. And look what he says. We didn't read it today, but he he goes and says um, in verse 17, we'll get to it next week, but look, after several years I came to bring alms to my nation to present an offering in which they found me occupied in the temple having been purified without any crowd or any uproar, but there were certain Jews from Asia who ought to have been present before you to make this accusation. In other words, he says, I've got witnesses. I've got witnesses that I didn't do this. And so he says in verse 12, neither in the temple nor in the synagogue nor in the city itself could they find me carrying on a discussion with anyone or causing a riot. And he says in verse 13, they cannot prove to you the charges of which they now accuse me. And now comes the very essence of this message. And it starts in verses 14, 15, and 16, and it is powerful. If, 
if I could, I would save a message like this for Easter Sunday. It is an Easter message if you've ever heard one. Watch what Paul does. He says in verse 14, But this I do admit, that according to the way, he calls us the way. Remember I said, Matthew 7, Jesus says the way is, 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 is narrow and, and it leads to life. And so he says, according to the way which they call a sect, I do serve the God of our fathers. Key, key. I serve the God of our fathers, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and is written in the prophets. In other words, he says, I have the same belief as the God of our fathers. What he has done by that statement, it is It is amazingly so brilliant of Paul. He just then, by saying that, grabbed his arms around all the Sanhedrin that were there, all the guys that were there accusing him, and he brought them into the picture with him. Because the statement when he says in the middle of uh, of verse 14, I serve the God of our fathers, He is saying, I serve the God of Israel. I serve the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. This is so important. Because to be a Christian, Paul is insisting, was not to forsake worshiping the God of Israel. Which Paul agreed. These men did worship him, do worship him. These men absolutely love him. Look what it says in verse... uh, 15, having a hope in God, which these men cherish themselves. In other words, Paul has embraced them into the whole picture of his being on trial, saying these guys believe in the same God that I believe in, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they cherish him. He honored them, saying that they loved this particular God, their God. But what he's going to say is they missed They missed the one whom the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob sent for Jew and Gentile alike, for us. And in missing Christ, Paul is saying, they missed their Messiah. And missing their Messiah, he has said, they have missed everything. And let me show you. Turn with me, please. Hold your place here. Turn with me to John chapter 5. Oh my goodness, wait till you read this. We've done this before. We've studied this before. John chapter 5. In John chapter 5, it it talks about this guy who was at the pool of Bethsaida. You remember it? Uh, He's been lame for 38 years. Here's the tradition. Tradition tells us that if the pool got stirred, every once in a while the pool would be stirred. They felt that that was stirred by an angel. And the first one in the pool got the blessing. Remember the story? So there's this guy that's been lame for 38 years. And Jesus comes to him and says, "Uh, Would you like to be healed? (laughs) No, no, I'm kind of happy this way. No. Yeah, of course I do. But every time the pool is stirred, he told Jesus, by the time I've got nobody to help me. And, And by the time I get down there, someone else is there and I miss the blessing. And so Jesus looks at him and says, Take up your pallet, walk. And he did. Interestingly, and we study this when we look through the book of John, it was over and over and over again that we noticed that Jesus Christ did a lot of his miracles on the Sabbath. 
And I'm trying to figure out why. And I think it was just to irritate the Jews. Now, that's probably wrong. That probably tells you a little bit too much about my personality. But, uh, but he, he, did, he did it on the Sabbath, I think, to bring attention to the very obvious. Watch. This is why I think this. Note what it says. John chapter 5. I want you to look with me. Uh, Verse 9, immediately the man became well, took up his pallet, and he began to walk. Now, it was the Sabbath on that day. Let's jump down and let's look at uh, verse 15. The man went away. He told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. Now watch, verse 16. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things, note, on the Sabbath. He was irritating them. For whatever reason, that's between Jesus and, and eternity. I, I don't know. I cannot speak for that. But they were upset. They wanted to persecute Jesus because he was doing these things on Sabbath. Now watch what Jesus says. Look at verse 17. It's an amazing verse. Jesus answered them, says, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. Now don't skip over that verse. What Jesus just did says, I and the father are the, we're co-equal. What you see the Father doing, you see me doing. We're both the same. We're, we're both God. How do I know he said that? Well, next verse. Look what happens. When he says this, that, that statement, for this cause, for what he just said, therefore the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but also now he was calling God his own Father, making himself what? Equal with God. Look, at, there was never a time in the old, not, never a time when the church was established, when Jesus Christ was walking on this earth, that the Jews and everyone didn't know that Jesus Christ claimed to be God. They knew that. They knew that. They just wouldn't accept it. You've heard it. If you're here this morning and you're visiting with us and you're trying to investigate whether you want to believe or trust or not, you've heard enough that Jesus Christ isn't some prophet. He isn't some small G God. He isn't some great teacher. He's God, a very God Himself. And He came to this earth to go to the cross, to die on the cross, shed His blood for your sin. And then He rose from the dead to say, See? I am exactly who I said I am. I'm God. Now the ball is in your court. Are you going to trust and believe in me or not? So Jesus answered and said in verse 19, Therefore he answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son does also. What? in like manner. In other words, you see God, you're seeing God in me, he's saying, in like manner. He says, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing and greater works than these will he show him that you may marvel. For just as the Father raises the dead, gives them life, even so the Son also will give life to whom he wishes. Look, if I was in that crowd, you could bet your last dollar that I would start to be leaning and listening. If, if he's claiming to be God, he's just healed a man, 38 years who's been lame. I'm... I'm listening. This guy's really putting up a pretty good argument, I would think. Then he says in verse 22, For even 
For not even the Father judges anyone, but He has given all judgment to the Son. And I'd say, whoa, you mean to say this guy who's just healed this guy and asked me to believe in Him is going to judge me? I'd lean even closer. I'd figure out this must be the big dog. There's a big dog out there. This must be the big dog. Then look what Jesus says. He says, in order that everyone might honor the Son, even as they honor the Father, he goes to say, the person who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And I'd say, Amen. Amen. I want to trust and believe in you, Jesus. What must I do to have eternal life? I would see that I am standing alongside the very essence of life itself, I think. And then he goes on to say in verse 24, Truly I say to you, the person who hears my voice, or hears my words, hears my word, and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. And at that point I hoped and prayed that if I were there, I would have fallen on my knees and fallen on my face before him and say, I want what you're giving out. And so in missing Jesus Christ, Back in Acts chapter 24, Paul is essence saying to them, in missing the Messiah, they have missed everything. Their sins are not forgiven. And now theirs and everyone's devotion to God must be done through the one who was raised from the dead. Look at Paul. He now brings it to verse 15. Paul says as much. He is saying he is our only hope. And now Paul is preaching. He's not defending himself. You'll note, he says, I'm not a pest, or they say I'm a pest, I'm not, and, and all of that. But now he's not defending for his life. He is trying to give them everlasting life. And so he says he's our only hope. He says, having a hope in God, which he says, which, note, he embraces these guys, which these men cherish themselves. This is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And he has given us a son that there shall certainly be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. Paul knew at this point in time, he knew that they knew that through their belief in the Old Testament, their understanding of the Old Testament. In fact, turn with me, please, to Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, just for a, a moment. You've got to see it because is, this Daniel is just one of many, many places we can turn in the Old Testament and see about the resurrection of Jesus Christ or the resurrection of someone who would give everlasting life. He says that our hope is in the resurrection which these men cherish. There shall be certainly a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. In that statement in Daniel, we are told there is an everlasting time in heaven and there is an everlasting time in hell. And it all centers upon the hope that we have of raising from the dead the resurrection that would give us everlasting life. Turn back real quickly to Acts chapter 24 and we'll close. Therefore, Paul says in verse 16, in view of this, in other words, in view of the resurrection, in view of the hope that we have in God, the same God we all cherish. We all cherish, right guys? The Sanhedrin, we all cherish the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They would say yes. Well, he says, in view of this, the resurrection, I do my best to maintain always 
a blameless conscience both before God and man. And what Paul is saying is pure and wonderful. He is saying the resurrection and the judgment that is to come isn't just a theory to me, Paul. Paul's saying, I believe what I am telling you so much so that I've that I've made it or it has made an impact upon my life that I will do the best I can to stay blameless in my conscience before God and before men. This is one of the strongest personal testimonies you'll ever see of Paul. He says, I am expecting to stand before my God and my Creator and I am expecting, he is saying, to give an account for my life. And in stating it, as he did here in verse 16, Paul is saying, not only do I bear witness to the fact that I am ready to meet my God, but also by implication he is asking, are you, are you ready to stand before your God? Do you, in all of your heartbeat, do you try to live a life blameless in your conscience before God through the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you're investigating about Jesus Christ, I know of no finer place for you to read through and to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ through the wonderful words of Paul. He is begging for you and me to come to know him. And I'm not going to embarrass you by asking you to come forward this morning. I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand, but if you've been contemplating this whole idea of Jesus Christ, I'm begging of you to ask Him into your heart. Listen, nobody can make you do it. Nobody. I cannot. There's nobody strong enough here that can make you come to Christ. If we could, we'd we'd put Fred at the door and we'd say, you can't leave. You can't leave until you come to Christ. But we can't make you do that. But the good news about that is, is nobody can stop you from coming to Christ. It's your choice. Yours and yours alone. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer in a moment. For those of us here that have made that decision for Christ, we've accepted Him as our Lord and Savior. But maybe your conscience is is beating you up. I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to clear your conscience. I'm asking you to believe like Paul believes. I'm asking you and I to believe that if we confess our sin, whatever it might be, He will be faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And He will remember whatever it is we did before no more. And we were going to have a clear conscience before Him. I want to share with you one thing about this. There is probably every single person here in this room that's fighting a sin that's just beating you to death. I don't know what it is. I know I wrestle with whatever it is I wrestle with. And you do too. Probably. Not what I do, but you probably have your own thing that just keeps beating you up. You sin. And it hits you. And you sin. And you realize you've done something against God. And you sin. And you start to getting weary, asking Him to forgive you. Because you feel like you're always slapping Him in the face. I tell you, every time you slap Him in the face, you ask God to forgive you. Because there'll come a time, there'll come a time when you'll say, Forgive me, Father. Forgive me, Father. Stop doing it. You won't do the sin. You'll stop it before you have to ask Him for forgiveness. And you can say, Thank you, Father. And you'll find if you do that, if you confess your sin, every time you are convicted of your sin, you'll find that 
sooner or later, there'll be greater gaps in between the time that you sin, and maybe you'll get to a place you'll say, wow, I haven't done that in a long time. Confess your sin. Be guiltless before God. Let Him carry the burden that He desired to carry for us upon the cross. So don't go out of here without being cleansed, blameless in your conscience before God. It's a great way to live. It's a great way to live. For those that do not know the Lord, and you're thinking, maybe I ought to... You don't have to get on your knees. You don't have to close your eyes. You just need to open up your heart. Maybe even say something like this, Father, forgive me. I've neglected you long enough. Forgive me of my sin. Help me to be the person you call me to be. And then we beg of you, tell someone. Tell a friend that you've come here with. Tell someone. Um, Tell us. Because we want to help you. We want to help you to grow in your faith. There's no greater... There's no greater testimony on the face of this earth than to see someone growing in their faith and becoming the person that God's called us to be. That's what our church is really all about. To help people become believers in Jesus Christ and mature, mature in our faith. That comes through a very conscious study of the Word of God. We want to help you. I won't to the best of my ability, ever lie to you. I will not, to the best of my ability, ever try to tell you something that's not written within this Bible. I will tell you the hard truth as well as the the easy things to say because I want you to know that two and two in the Bible is always four. It's never three and a half and it's never four and a half. And woe to a preacher that won't tell his people the truth. So we'll deal with the truth here as best we know how. I love you folks more than I can tell you. I really love the Word of God, don't you? I really love the Word of God. Father, thank you for your kindness. Um, as we go our way this day, may, uh, may we have a wonderful time with our family, our loved ones. Would you watch over Wanda, please, Father? Help her to get better. Anyone else here that uh, is going through some deep waters, would you uh, watch and care for them as well? Oh, Father, thank you for your kindness. Um, Thank you that you love us so much. May we love you back in return, I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I love you guys. I love you so much. Have a great day. It's going to be warm out there today.